Welcome back to Totally Nostalgic, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture of the 1980s and 1990s. Today's topic, one of the iconic toys of the time, the Koosh Ball. And anybody that's my age or even younger has played with this toy. Let's go. Thank you for joining me today. Please make sure if you uh, like the podcast to subscribe or even rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Spotify and Anchor, as well as Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts and other places as well. Today we're looking at one of the iconic toys of the 1980s and a toy that's still around today and still fairly popular, and that is the Koosh Ball. So the Koosh Ball is a toy ball made of rubber filaments radiating from a steel-bound core, and it was patented in 1987 by Scott H. Stillinger. The company later expanded their product line to include 50 other Koosh-related products, including key rings, baseball sets, and yo-yos. The ball itself consists of about 2,000 rubber uh, filaments and has been released in a variety of color combinations. A variation was the Kushkins line of a Kush balls with carton faces and hands. Kushkins was made into a comic book series by Archie Comics, where they kept their cartoon-like appearance. Kush balls are often used with quick start tennis exercises to help children develop motor skills. As of 2017, Kush balls are manufactured by Hasbro, and the brand has recently expanded into a different product line starting with Kush Galaxy. A new line consists of toy blasters that fire foam balls similar to the original Nerf ball and includes a cross promotion with Angry Birds Star Wars. So, uh, I thought I would also look at some interesting facts about the Koosh Ball uh, courtesy of MentalFloss.com. So, Koosh Balls were created because the inventor's kids couldn't master playing catch. In 1986, engineer Scott Stillinger was having trouble teaching his two young kids how to play catch. Balls were too bouncy and beanbags too heavy. The California resident soon realized he needed a better ball, one that was soft, wouldn't bounce, and could be grasped easily. He quoted, I intuitively knew that a rubber filament ball would do the trick, so I set out to try to find a way to make it. Stillinger told the Christian Science Monitor in 1989. He started with a box of rubber bands and then refined the design of his energy-absorbent ball, eventually settling on natural, natural rubber latex in non-toxic colors. Scott Stillinger was so confident about Koosh balls that he quit his job to make them. In late 1986, Stillinger showed a prototype of the ball to his brother-in-law, Mark Button, who'd worked in marketing at Mattel. The men and their wives were confident enough in the product that uh, to quit their jobs and start a toy company called Odds On Products. Stillinger later called their early prototypes crude. When I look back at how crude they were compared to what we are today, 
we were crazy. But when they showed the ball to a store owner, she told them, you're going to be millionaires. Stillinger built the machine that would make the balls and operated it out of a barn near his house. Alright, so I'm not going to read off all the different uh, facts that you can find on the website on this, but I do want to uh, mention a few others. So, there were more than 200 potential name options for Koosh balls. Stillinger told people in 1989 that through a process of surveys and logic, we decided on Koosh. According to the street history of the, sorry, the secret history of balls, the duo started with more than 200 names before having kids and adults pick their favorite from a list of finalists. The ball is also said to be named after the sound it makes when caught. A standard Koosh ball is made of 2,000 rubber filaments. Placed end-to-end, -end, the filaments on each 3-inch diameter ball stretch more than 300 feet. The filaments have a nickname, by the way. Stillinger and Button called them feelers. The media made fun of Koosh balls and the industry didn't get it, but customers loved it. According to The Secret Life of Balls, the media reveled in making fun of the softball. A Sports Illustrated writer compared the Koosh to a Star Trek Tribble, while another reporter likened it to a psychedelic sea urchin. Koosh balls were also called the pet rock of the 80s. Worse, some people in the industry just didn't get it. One retailer even thought the filaments were defects and began cutting them off. So, surprisingly, and this comes to me as uh, a complete surprise, something I didn't even know, but the Koosh Ball had its own book. Published in 1989, the official Koosh book featured 33 cushy activities, including a form of tag called Koosh Attack in games like La Kroosh, Hopskoosh, and Koosh Koosh Koo. There were also short-lived Koosh Ball comic book series. Kushkins, a comic book about six living Kushes, Crinby, Boingo, GG, Slats, TK, and Scoops, produced by Archie Comics, debuted in 1991. The series ran for just a few issues and was, of course, accompanied by a toy line of Kush balls with faces and hands. Alright, so moving along here, let's see if there's any other facts we could talk about. So, Stillinger and Button sold their Koosh Ball company in 1994, when a duo decided to sell odds-on in 1994 to the New Jersey company, Russ Berry and Company. They had sold 40, I'm sorry, 50 million Koosh Balls and were making an estimated 30 million a year. The Koosh line consisted of 50 products, including keychains, fin footballs, and lawn darts. Hasbro purchased the company in 1997. Today, Hashbro licensed Koosh balls to the company Basic Fun. A woman sued after getting hit in the face with a Koosh ball on Rosie O'Donnell's talk show. In 2001, 69-year-old Lucille DeBellis went to a taping of the Rosie O'Donnell show. She was sitting in the studio audience when, according to the details of her lawsuit, as reported in the New York Post, she was suddenly and without warning struck in the face with a hard object. A Koosh ball, which O'Donnell and her staff often shot out in the audience with the help of a Koosh throwing device known as the Fling Shot. 
Two years later, DeBellis filed a $3 million lawsuit against the producers of the show, claiming the the Cuzball struck plaintiff squarely in the mouth, causing her to suffer pain and swelling, as well as bleeding in her gums. The effects of the hit were long-lasting, according to the lawsuit. And by the way, I did not pronounce the the uh, name wrong. That's how it is listed here. So clearly, they uh, uh, didn't use proper spelling. So those are some of the uh, what, what's called the wacky, kooky facts of the Koosh Ball. But I mean, it's a toy that seemingly has been around my entire lifetime. As you know, it came out in the late '80s when I would you know would have been you know seven eight nine years old so it's something i just it was just part of everyday life as a child you know you know playing with these things whether you used them to throw them back and forth with your friends or hit them with a ball bat wiffle ball bat uh primarily they were definitely a fun toy and even coming into today um you know currently my my daughter and i had recently in the last couple of years, we designed our own uh, game, kind of came up with our own idea of a game where it would be similar to playing baseball, where you'd use a koosh ball and uh, like uh, uh, almost like a tennis racket, uh, if you will, or, or badminton racket more accurately. And uh, basically, uh, you know, I would pitch or she would pitch the ball to me or I would pitch to her if I was, you know, hitting. And basically, our idea was we would hit it with the racket. We would serve it basically with the racket, and then you would hit it as if you were hitting a a wiffle ball or a baseball. And the other person could either catch the ball or hit it back, and it would be out. Or if it got past you, the idea was you could throw the kush at your opponent, um, and if you hit them, then they were out if they weren't on base. So. Because uh, it was one of those things that was soft to the touch. If you got hit with it in the back of the arm or whatever, it wouldn't hurt. But uh, clearly, if you got hit in the face, it could certainly uh, sting a little bit. But we were always careful with how we did it. But, uh, I mean, just the idea there is, you know, when you're playing as a child or with a child, the ball makes a nice toy for doing those type of activities where... You couldn't use something as hard as a baseball or something that can sting as bad as a wiffle ball, for example. So I've always had a lot of fun with the toy, and uh, it obviously appeals to kids with its bright colors and, and various colors. And uh, just a great toy that's been around and continues to uh, be prevalent in the toy industry to this day. Okay, let's look at this week in pop culture history, the year 1989. It was the week of 1029 through 11-4. Starting with Baywatch on November 3rd, 1989, season one, episode six, titled The Drowning Pool. A man is found drowned off the beach and Jill suspects foul play is the reason. She begins seeing the son of the victim and during the investigation discovers the man's cousin was responsible for his father's death. A man who helped Jill bring the victim ashore decides he wants to be a lifeguard as well, even though he is not qualified. 
And on USA Up All Night, uh, first night, which was November 3rd as well, 1989, first movie, Reform Schoolgirls from 1986. They're sexy, they're beautiful, and they're bad. Bad enough to be locked in Pride Moore Juvenile Facility, where there are no windows, no possibility of escape, and no hope. Second movie was Jocks from 1986, starring a very young Mariska Hargitay from Law & Order fame. The coach of a college tennis team is given an ultimatum. Put together a winning team or else. And on Saturday... November 4th, 1989, they, uh, the first movie was Jocks Again Replaying, and the second movie called Lust for Freedom from 1987. A former female cop is framed by corrupt police acting in co- collusion with the local judge and has to fight her way out of the pen alone against tough inmates and the people in charge. Also... This week in 1989, the following albums were released. Built to Last from The Grateful Dead, their 13th and final studio album, as well as No Control by Bad Religion, the American punk band releasing their fourth studio album. A movie released on November 3rd, 1989, was the Phantom of the Opera remake starring Robert England from Nightmare on Elm Street fame. And on October 31st, 1989, uh, WWF ran its Saturday night's main event taping uh, from Topeka, Kansas, with a pretty stacked card. It was The Ultimate Warrior defeating Andre the Giant by DQ. The Genius defeated the WWF champion at the time, Hulk Hogan, via countout. Dusty Rose defeated Big Boss Man. Mr. Perfect defeated the Red Rooster, and in a classic tag team match, the Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels defeated Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the Brain Busters, in a two out of three falls tag match. So that was this week in pop culture history. Okay, let's move over to Twitter to see what I found in relation to today's main topic, the Koosh Ball. All right, so the first post I'd like to highlight is from March 20th of 2018 from at MattAllman330. It is retweet if you remember the hashtag Koosh Ball accompanied by a photo of one of the colorful multicolored Koosh Balls. The next one from February 27 of 2020 from at 8-Bit Pickle, which is an amazing uh, Twitter handle. Who still has a koosh lying lying around uh, with a photo of three multicolored koosh balls? And uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I'd love to know how many people still have koosh balls lying around. I certainly do at my household. I'm sure many others do as well. Moving on to a more recent uh, tweet from October 13th of this year from at Imagine That KS. Congrats to the Koosh Ball for winning the Toy Insider Award. 
It's such a versatile toy, everything from juggling, kicking, and even fidgeting. Yippee. And that's a good point. <clears throat> the koosh ball can be used for so many purposes. Um, it, it is really a versatile toy, and I think that's a, a big, big reason for um, how long-lasting and popular the toy continues to be. And an interesting note there that it uh, won a Toy Insider Award you know, all these years later. So that's, that's awesome. All right. And then the final one I'd like to highlight from October 4th of 2018 from at time machine shop. It is getting to be that time of year again, where we are scrambling to find gifts for family members and friends. Time machine has so many interesting toys and hobbies for everyone in your life. We have many stocking stuffer ideas that will help you at Hasbro Hashtag Koosh, hashtag toys. Uh, and then we uh, have that tweet accompanied by a photo of what looks like a, a, a shopping cart that has a box full of Koosh balls in it. So that's good stuff. And uh, big shout out to at Time Machine Shop from uh, Manchester, Connecticut. Uh, Definitely something to check out uh, as we are rapidly approaching the holiday season. It might be a a good option for checking out some uh, gift ideas for your loved ones. So <clears throat> that kind of wraps that part up. This has been another fun episode for me um, as I will dive into these series of iconic toys from the 80s and 90s. And I uh, wanted to start with one that's, again, pretty, pre uh, pretty prevalent even today. <clears throat> and uh, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, please, if you would like to provide feedback, you can uh, give me a shout out on Twitter at Nostalgic8090, or certainly you could send an email with your questions or feedback at totallynostalgicpod at gmail.com. Would love to hear uh, your feedback and provide some of that on a future episode. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you real soon. Mm -hmm.